Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Christmas season. It is finally Christmas at Pathway. We're a week late, but we're here. Uh, Christmas is in about 16 days. I hope you're prepared for it. Uh, Christmas is one of those amazing times of year that I think we all look forward to, isn't it? And uh, we look forward to it in anticipation, and particularly for our children, there's this sense of waiting for Christmas. We just can't wait for Christmas to arrive, And, and each December we celebrate the Christmas story. And we remember how Christ came to this earth, how a baby was born, a baby that would change history, that would literally change the world. It's, it's worth remembering and it's worth celebrating. It's, it's really what Christmas is all about. Uh, in, some, um, in some circles, they talk about Advent, right? They talk about the Advent season. And the word Advent literally just means the coming of someone or something that is extremely important. And so just like the nation of Israel waited for their Messiah, and they waited for his first coming, today I want to talk to you about waiting for Christmas. Waiting for Christmas. You see, on that first Christmas, as we celebrate the Christmas stories, what we discover is that uh, there were wise men that traveled from the east. And they brought their, gold, their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, there were shepherds that showed up and paid homage to the king. There were angels singing from the sky, Gloria in excelsis Deo, or something like that. There are all of these amazing pieces of the story that we reflect upon and that we think about. And it's also encouraging. John, one of Jesus' disciples, as he later reflects on Jesus' coming and having walked with Jesus and, and seen Jesus through his life and ministry, and then saw the resurrected Jesus, watched Jesus ascend into heaven, as he reflects back on that first Christmas, the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, he writes this in his, in his gospel. He says that when Jesus came, there was a light that began to shine in the darkness. And in a dark world, in a broken world, a glimmer of light and a glimmer of hope began to shine that first Christmas. But of course, before all of that happened, Before the shepherds, before the angels, before the star lit up the sky to announce the birth of Christ, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, they were waiting, they were waiting for Christmas. Don't you just love waiting? (laughs) No? No, you know, I'm not a particularly patient person. I I don't love waiting for things myself. My wife just giggled in the front row, so we know it's true. I'm not, I'm not a fan of waiting. Some of the big things in life that you have to wait for, I'm okay. I'm okay with some of the big things. You know, some things take years and decades for, you know, like grandchildren. I can wait for that. You know, that, just push that off into the future. All right? There are things that I can wait for, but it's, it's the little things that really bother me. Like, there are things that I don't like waiting for. I made a small list of them. Uh, one of them is, <laughs> it's like therapy. Uh, one, one of the things I hate waiting for is people who hesitate at four-way stops. Yeah, you get two cars pull up and one of them clearly has right away, but that person doesn't go. Instead, they wave the other person on who is now confused because they know it's not their turn. And now other cars have arrived and everyone's inching into the, and I'm just like, go, just go. I don't care if you cut me off. We'll all get where we're going faster. Just go. Can't stand that. I don't, I don't like waiting for elevator doors to close. 
And, I, and you're probably thinking, well, dude, it's only a couple seconds. But it's a couple seconds of wasted time that need not be. You can be, you can be in the only person in the entire building. You walk in, you press it, and you're just like, okay. And the door is just waiting in case someone else, but there's no one else. And, and so you frantically push the door close button, trying to speed up. See, with all our technology, you think they could figure that out, couldn't they? Have some little eyeball or sensor that goes, nobody else is here. Let's get this thing on the... Anyway. I don't like waiting for gas pumps. It can be the middle of January, and you pull up, and you open the thing, and you take the nozzle, and you forgot your gloves to your hands, you're getting frostbite, and you put the the metal nozzle into the the gas, whatever it's called, in your car, and you put it in, and you select your gas, and you pull the trigger. Nothing. Click, 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 click. You're looking at the guy in the window who's fallen asleep. Click, 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 click. And then it finally starts, and you're like, great, I'm going to just lock it in here so I can warm up my hands. Oh, no, they took the little latch thing off. I know they're little things, but waiting is just not. How about waiting for somebody who tells you they're coming to pick up that $10 item you listed on Kijiji? <laughs> you, know, you know where I'm going with this. An hour and a half later, they finally show up as if you didn't have something better to do with your day, and then they tell you, oh, I don't want that. What a waste of time. I don't like waiting for things. When I was a kid, I didn't like waiting for Christmas. Christmas was always, as a kid, you just anticipate Christmas morning. You anticipate the gifts under the tree. And so they came up with something like this called an advent calendar, right? Which is simply a tool for children and some adults, you know who you are, to help us to, help us to wait. When I was a kid, I, was, I would frustrate my parents because I know every home does this differently. In some homes, all the gifts arrive under the tree on Christmas morning somehow. In our home, gifts just arrived as they were wrapped, and so over the course of the month of December, the gifts would just begin, the pile would begin to grow under the tree. And of course, as kids, we would measure them and weigh them, read the tags, sort them into categories. Hey, I got four, you got three, you know, get my little brother to cry. We would just, we would do this. And so we would get, a, and literally sometimes it'd be a week before Christmas and I would just follow my mom around the house. There's all those gifts. Can I just open one? She's like, no, you have to wait for Christmas. I can't wait. I want to open something. One year... Uh, my mom actually let me open a gift like five days before Christmas. I was like, yes, I, all of my hard work is finally bringing about something. And I opened it up and it was a pair of socks. And then I looked closer and one of them had a hole in it. Like she had literally wrapped an old pair of used socks just to get me off her back. So I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for Christmas. Um, and so we wait, we wait. We've got 16 days to wait until Christmas. So this bench represents waiting. And honestly, before all of this happens, before the birth of Christ and the celebration of the first Christmas, the nation of Israel, they were waiting for Christmas. They were waiting for the promised Messiah. They were waiting for the king who would reign for eternity. We're going to talk about all these things today. They waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. In fact, What we discover when we look at the timeline is that the nation of Israel waited for 2,000 years for Christmas. That's a long time. Because what we discover is that Christmas doesn't actually begin with the wise men or the shepherds. In fact, it doesn't even begin with the angel Gabriel pronouncing to Mary that she's going to have a child. That's usually where we start the story. But the Christmas story actually begins 2,000 years earlier with a promise You see, the Christmas story begins with a promise that God makes to a man by the name of Abram or Abraham. And today I want to look at those promises, and I want us to walk through history, and I want us to see 
how the nation of Israel waited for Christmas, and then we're going to talk about how it applies to us. In 2000 BCE, roughly, there was a man by the name of Abram, and God speaks to Abram, and later is going to change his name to Abraham, and he's going to make him an incredible promise. Let's look at it together. The promise is recorded in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He says, Abram, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave normal, comfortable, and I want you to travel somewhere. Well, where are we going, Lord? I'll show you. Not helpful. And so Abram picks up his wife. I'm sure she had some thoughts about this whole endeavor. And they begin to travel, and they're going, they're wandering through lands in tents. Is this the place? Is this the place? And God says, I'm going to show you a land, a land that eventually God would give to Abram and his descendants. And here's how he continues. He says, and I will make of you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, this is a great promise. Hey, Abram, I'm going to make you famous. Your children will become a great nation. That's a great promise. I think all of us, if we're parents, would love to have a promise like that. What's incredible about this is that Abram and his wife Sarai, who would later become named Sarah, they, were, they had fertility issues. They, they couldn't have a child. This was part of their story. And so God says, hey, you're going to have this amazing nation that comes from you. How? How is this even possible? And he says, you will be a blessing I I taught on this about seven or eight weeks ago about how God wants to bless the world and how he always does it, how? Through people, through you and through me. And so so God says, hey, Abram, I want to bless the world and I'm choosing to do it through you and through your family. And you will be a blessing. Imagine what would happen this Christmas if you and I had this frame of reference. If we began to pray both individually and as families, God How do you want to bless the people who are in my life, the people who are around me, through me? Because that's how he's going to do it. That's really the spirit of Christmas. That's what Jesus did. He he came to bless the world. It's really what Christmas is all about. And so he continues in the text. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, or in your family tree, Abraham, All the families of the earth will be blessed. This is an incredible promise. Bigger than the others. He literally says, Abram, somewhere in your family tree is coming someone who will literally change history. Who will touch and influence and affect and save people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That is a massive promise, my friends. And and in today's modern world, it's easy to imagine how someone could influence the whole world because we have this little thing called the internet. We have a global economy. You can go to northern Russia. You can go to the southern tip of South America, and teenage girls are singing Justin Bieber. Baby, baby, baby. Oh, you know it. I know you do. I went to YouTube this week. There are over 2 billion views on that music video, which means roughly one in three of you have been watching it. Statistically speaking. So all around the world, people know who he is. And, and so now it's not hard to imagine the gospel and the message of Jesus' coming, reaching corners of the earth. But when God made this promise, they didn't even know what the earth looked like. They didn't know what countries and continents existed across oceans. And yet God makes a promise to Abram. And he says, listen, someone is going to come through your lineage, from your family tree that's going to impact 
the entire world. This is massive. This is a promise that God makes to Abram. This is, all happens around 2000 BCE. Fast forward to 1000. Okay, A thousand years now have passed. God promises this to Abram. Abram has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. They all emigrate into Egypt. They become slaves. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, Moses leads them out. Under Joshua's leadership, they go into the land that Abraham walked around in, that God said, this land is going to be yours, and they conquer all the cities, and it becomes the nation of Israel. Part one of God's promise is fulfilled. A nation. A great nation. And then they, they, they select a king. Well, God selects a king named Saul. And after Saul comes David, the one who had a heart after God. And so this is now 1,000 years after God's promise to Abram, one of his descendants named David is now ruling in the nation of Israel just as God had promised. Everything's looking up. Everything's looking really up. And Samuel the prophet speaks again on behalf of God. Remember, this is 1,000 years after the initial promise, and he says this in 2 Samuel 12, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. Now, David, you're going to die. That's the bad news. The good news is, I will raise up your offspring after you. Someone's coming. David, you came from Abraham. Someone's coming after you from your family, from your line, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. Now, if we stop there, it seems obvious that the fulfillment of this promise that God is making to David is fulfilled in his son Solomon. David's son Solomon becomes maybe the greatest king that ever lived in Israel, and he builds a glorious temple called Solomon's Temple, which is one of the ancient wonders of the world. Hand-carved wood, overladen with gold, massive cedar beams, stones bigger than cars for the foundation, like this incredible construction project, and this temple stands, and people are going, yes, God kept his promise, but really, when we continue to read, we discover that God has something else in mind. He continues by saying, I will establish his throne the throne of his kingdom forever. He says, there's a king coming from your line, David, that's going to rule forever, an eternal king. Oh, that's an amazing promise. It's a continuation of God's promise to Abraham. 400 years later, we're now 600 BCE, 600 years before the arrival of Jesus on the earth. The temple is still standing in Israel, but the armies of Babylon are preparing to invade, and they're going to remove the kings of of Israel. They're going to tear down Solomon's incredible house he built for God, and the people are scattered. And in that moment, the nation of Israel would have thought, God has failed to keep his promise to Abraham, and he's failed to keep his promise to David. Everything has gone awry, and the prophet Jeremiah speaks up. And prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, Behold, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. We're talking about David's family tree. And he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Hey, guys, it's about to get really bad, but here's what I want you to know. God will still keep his promise. There will be a king who sits upon the throne. There will be a king coming from the house of David who will rule and reign. Now, I've taken you through all of that history, through 2,000 years, again, snapshots, all the way up to the birth of Christ. And here's what I wanted to show you, because I just thought this was, this was so fascinating, that as Matthew begins his account of Jesus' birth, 
All right? Matthew chapter 1, we always start in, in verse 16 when the angel appears to Mary, right? Isn't that where we start the Christmas story? We always begin there, but this, that's not where Matthew begins. Matthew says this as he begins to tell the story of Christ's birth. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Have you ever looked at that and said, why is that even there? He, he continues by saying this, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron and we could just keep going. There's just name after name after name. And here's the point of all of it. Matthew is literally saying to his readers and to us, God is faithful to always keep his promise. Jesus comes into the world. And I want to show you how Abraham had a son, a son, a son, a son, a son, a son to David. And then David had a son, a son, a son, a son, a son, a son to Joseph. And Jesus, his earthly son, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. And he says all of that really to make this point. God always keeps his promises. It doesn't matter if it takes 2,000 years. If nations rise... And nations fall. Good kings, evil kings. Subverters, riots, sickness, plagues. All of that has happened through this 2,000 years of history. And God is just watching the whole thing. And he is faithful to keep his word to Abraham and to David. And he says, Jesus is coming that first Christmas. Was God fulfilling his promise to Abraham and to David? I think that's powerful. It's powerful because God always keeps his promises. You know, for us, it's hard to imagine that God always keeps his promises because um, the way we view God is very much influenced by our experiences in life. Have you known, have you noticed this? Like um, Jason talked about during the worship time, he said about how he feels about his kids. And some of us in this room had fathers that we would look at and go, our fathers loved us and cared for us and encouraged us. But there are other people in this room who would say, no, those are not the words I would use to describe my father. It might be a four-letter word, all right? My experience was not that. And so when we read in Scripture that he is our heavenly father, it skews the way we view him. You understand? That's confetti from last week. That's awesome. Just just raining down from heaven. That's amazing. (laughs) And, And honestly, in our lives, we've all experienced disappointment, haven't we? One of my favorite disappointment stories from Christmas revolves around a time when I was about 10 years old. Uh, My mother, as we approached Christmas, we were excited about Christmas. My mom kept talking about this, this, this gift that she wanted. It was called a family ring. Some of you know what they are, like a gold band, and it had like different stones for the birth months of your children. And that was very popular at the time. And, and she kept opening the catalog and showing me and showing my brothers, look at here are the colors of your birthstones, and I'm going to have this ring. Your dad's going to buy it for me for Christmas. You all know where this is going. <laughs> no, we're good. And, and, and she's like, this is what it's going to be. And she would leave the catalog open, you know, on her nightstand so my dad could see it. And she talked about it all the time. And then just one day in passing, she happened to mention she was having a hard time reading a book. You know, it couldn't, the words were too small. And so my dad goes out shopping for Christmas and he comes home and I'm going to help him rap. And he's like, hey, look what I got for your mama. Because he's French and he talks like that. And he says... Hey, Nathan, let me, let me show you. And so we open up, he opens up the bag, and he's like, I got her a big magnifying glass. 
And I got her a little travel magnifying glass. And, and I got her a square glass with a light so she can read at night. And of course, he's thinking to himself, I mean, so thoughtful. I heard her say she needed this, and so I got her all these options. And I'll never forget that Christmas morning. And she rifled through the package, and she pulled out a magnifying glass. She's like, what's that? She throws it out of the way, and she pulls out another one. She's trying to figure out what the joke is. She throws it out of the way. She pulls the square one out. She throws it out of the way. And she's rifling through the package looking for the ring. Even as a 10-year-old kid, I, I knew this was not good. <laughs> that Christmas comes up often around our house. <laughs> Right? Some of you have your own story, right? Where, where you were expecting one thing and it didn't come and the disappointment. Like, hey, as we go through life and things don't happen the way we expect, when people let us down, because let's be honest, all of us have had people make promises to us that they could not keep or that they didn't keep. And it hurts. And, and it damages us. And we close a part of ourselves off. We go, hey, I'm not going to expose myself to hope again. Because if I expose myself to hope, someone could hurt me again. The problem with that is when we close ourselves off to hurt, we close ourselves off to life. Right? It's like the little kid that goes out for this first game of t-ball. And the pitcher throws the ball and hits him in the head. And the kid goes, I'm never doing baseball again. And runs off the field. Because of that hurt and the unwillingness to go back out and try again, that kid might miss out on a sport that he would love. You understand what I'm saying? And so in our lives, this is a real thing. That when we get hurt, and, and Christmas has a way of just stirring up all those feelings, doesn't it? And Jesus comes to shed light and hope into these situations in our lives. And so as we celebrate Christmas, um, the gifts, the presents, the trees, the, the wise men, the angels, all of it, it reminds us that Jesus came. The first advent, he came, and why did he come? He came to bring hope, life, and forgiveness. And we remember it, and we go, oh, it's so amazing that he came. It's so amazing that he entered into the world. But really, when we celebrate the first Christmas, all of the stuff that we do, it's really about how God kept his promise to a man named Abraham and to a nation called Israel. That promise really wasn't for you and for me. Really, as we celebrate Christmas and all that it entails, we're actually remembering how God was faithful to Abram. But guess what? While Jesus was here on this earth, he made a new promise. And you won't often hear about this in a Christmas series, but I want to show it to you. Because while Jesus was on this earth, he actually makes a promise that isn't to Abram, and it isn't to the nation of Israel or Jews. It's actually a promise to you and to me, to those who believe in him. And this is an amazing promise. Check it out. In John chapter 14, Jesus is literally, this is the week of his death. And here's what he says to his disciples. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Now he says this because the world is full of trouble. I don't know if you've noticed this. There's all kinds of bad stuff happening around the planet. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Here's why. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. This isn't for Jews. This is for those who believe in Christ. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now this this idea, we go, okay, what are mansions and preparing a place? In the Jewish culture, when a young man was getting married, he would be legally bound or betrothed or we would call it engagement. 
he would be engaged to marry a woman. Usually the parents would be involved in setting this match up. And, and he would meet her and everything would be set up. And he would say, okay, I'm going to go now. And I'm going to go back to my father's farm, to my father's house. And I'm going to build an addition on the back of it. I'm going to build a brand new place where you and I are going to live together. And he would go off and he would begin construction and he's hanging up wallpaper. He probably should have got her involved in that. But he's, he's doing this. He's preparing this amazing space. And then he travels back when the time is ready and they are married. And there's a big party. And she leaves her family and she goes to live with him in this new place that he's prepared. Jesus says, they would have understood this in their culture. He says, I'm going to go now. I know you waited 2,000 years for me to show up the first time. But I'm going now. And the disciples are like, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? And a week later, he would be in a, in a tomb, and they're like, it's over. His promise he made it hasn't even been a week. He's already failed on it. But not even death could keep our Savior from keeping his promise to us. And he says, I'm going away now, but I'm going to return. He continues. He says, if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He says, I'm coming back. And when I come back, we'll be together forever. Christmas, as we celebrate it, is the first advent, the first coming of Christ. But when he came, he made a promise to us. And he went away. And his promise is that he is coming again. How often do we think about that at Christmas time? Not often. And do you know from the time that Jesus made his promise that he's coming again until today? Do you know how long it's been? Almost 2,000 years. Which, in my mind, seems like a very, very, very long time to be waiting. And yet, this is the beauty of Christmas. If God could keep a 2,000-year promise to Abraham and fulfill it in Christ's first coming, with angels singing in the sky, and wise men coming, and a star to mark his birth, if God could do all of that even after 2,000 years, then, then I believe God is faithful to keep his promise to us and return for us. In fact, um, the early church, the Christians that came out of, of, of Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, there was this growing movement called Christianity or the way. And as this movement grew, do you know that they didn't celebrate Christmas the way we do? I don't, I don't even think they have Christmas trees in Israel. But they didn't, they didn't celebrate with lights and mangers and all that stuff. All of that stuff came almost 400 years later when the Roman government instituted the celebration of Christmas. So they remembered the birth of Christ, but they spent way more time thinking about his second coming than his first. The early Christians, as they lived their lives, they had an eye to the sky saying, when is he coming back? He came, we know he came, we believe in him, and he's returning again. When is it? Is it today? And they would wake up each day going, is he here? Is it time? Has he come? And, and Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, as he gets older in his life, he, he writes an encouragement to um, some of the followers of Jesus. And he says this in his letter of Second Peter. And he's literally talking about the second coming, the second advent, the next Christmas, if you will. And he says this to the people. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. I know it's been a long time. I know you're still waiting for Jesus to return. I know he said he'd be right back. Beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. See, God doesn't live in time the way we do. And he continues to draw this conclusion, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. This is the perspective issue. 
God made a promise to Abraham. It took 2,000 years, but it was right on time. And he says, I know it feels long, and I know you're waiting for Christ to return, but he says, look, he's not slow, but he's patient towards you, wishing, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would reach repentance. Our future hope that Christ will keep his promise and return one day is built upon his past faithfulness to Abraham. Do you see why Matthew begins his gospel by saying, let me tell you about Jesus's family tree, about how he's the son of David and the son of Abraham. Why? Because God is faithful to keep every one of his promises. And Jesus has made a promise to us. Look, the first time Jesus appears on the scene, there's a little star, a light in the heavens marking the place of his birth. A few angels appear and sing a little chorus, right? There's these little markers, but most people missed it. The scriptures tell us that the next time he comes, he will come with lightning. The sky will part and a king will return to rule and reign in righteousness and peace. And in doing so, when he returns, he will not only ultimately fulfill the promise to Abraham and the promise to David, but also Jesus' promise to you and to me. So this Christmas, here's my hope for us, that as we reflect on, on how Jesus came in that first advent, That maybe this year our hearts would turn towards the sky and we would say, Lord, come. That we would begin to wonder, God, if you kept your promise to Abraham, will you keep your promises to us? Will you come? Will you come? Will you bring peace and hope and joy into this world? And here's the thing. We don't have to wait until that day to experience those things. But he is coming. And my hope is that as we celebrate the Christmas season this year, that we wouldn't just be looking to the past, but that part of us would turn our eyes to the future because God always keeps his promises. Can we pray together? Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.